Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bible Reading and Coffee Drinking Podcast. Today, I'm excited to read and share with you some of my thoughts on another chapter of the Bible. If you haven't yet, please visit my website at livingchristian.org. There you'll find Bible verse lists, Christian blogs, and a whole lot more. Be sure to check out the apparel store and use the exclusive code PODCAST20 to get 20% off your entire order. So whether you're a longtime follower or a brand new listener, I hope you find something valuable in this video. If you do, I appreciate a rating and review right here on the podcast page. It helps me get the word out. All right, let's get going on the new episode. Good morning, everybody. For those who are just joining me, uh, we are live on Instagram, and uh, you may be listening to this or watching this on uh, YouTube or the podcast afterwards, but we meet every Monday and Friday live on Instagram. So for those who are listening to this afterwards, feel free to join us sometime. Today we are finishing, not quite finishing up, but almost finishing up our Easter series on Mark 15. We'll do Mark 16 on Monday, but today is the day. Today is Good Friday when we're recording this, and we're going to be reading about that Good Friday. We're going to be reading about when Jesus was crucified. <clears throat> it doesn't sound like a Good Friday. Uh, and it certainly wasn't for him, uh, but it is for us because today is the day that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Today is the day that he died for all of our sins. Uh, so that's why it's a Good Friday, that is for sure. So we're going to read this, uh, Mark 15. So read along. If you have your Bibles, if you want to just sit and listen to me, feel free to do that too. Uh, but we're going to dive into Mark 15 uh, right now, talking about Jesus' trial. All right, Jesus' trial before Pilate. Very early in the morning, uh, the, leader, uh, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss the next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. I love the way he turns everything around on everybody else without answering questions directly. Uh, then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, are you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. So just a, a little bit of a history lesson here. Uh, so they had marched over. Uh, technically, uh, the, the the Romans, certainly the Jewish people at the time, were trying to bring make him guilty of crimes. Okay, So they brought him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, trying to get him to condemn him or charge him with crimes. Pilate had a little bit of an issue with it because he wasn't breaking Roman law, uh, even though so he, he, he's going to barter with them in a minute. We're going to learn about that. But that's why he's in front of Pilate is the fact that the, the Jewish leaders of the time brought him to the Roman governor to try to get him uh, convicted of these crimes. Even though he was breaking Jewish laws, he wasn't breaking the Roman laws. Uh, and that's why he struggled with it a little bit. All right. Uh, where are we? Verse uh, 6. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was uh, Barabbas, a revolutionary, revolutionary is kind of translated to criminal, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. This is what happens in Passover. Would you like me to release you the king of the Jews, Pilate asked? For he had realized by now the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. So Pilate knew what was going on, right? He had figured it out. He knew that uh, he that Jesus wasn't breaking um, you know, Roman law, but he knew why the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees had brought him to him. So he had figured it out and kind of reluctantly gone along with this. 
uh, verse 11. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? It's interesting how he goes to the religious leaders and said that you call him the king of the Jews. He had already asked Jesus whether he had called himself the king of the Jews. And he said, uh, you know, you have said it. He didn't admit that he had said it necessarily. Now he's going back and kind of accusing the religious leaders of the time, the Jewish Pharisees of the time, that you call him the king of the Jews. It's a little bit of a play on words there. And in my mind, Pilate is kind of putting it to him a little bit, if you know what I mean. So he, he's reluctant. I've, and I've read all four Gospels, so this is kind of mentioned. He's reluctant to kind of condemn Jesus uh, of, of breaking Roman law, right? But he knows that the, the high priest or the leading priest are doing this only out of envy because they're jealous of Jesus. So he goes back to them and says, hey, this is the one you call the king of the Jews. It's a little bit of a dig at the priest, I believe. All right, verse 14. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. All right, so this is a pretty brief uh, explanation about uh, how he was tortured. That is for sure. Uh, so when you go back in some of the other uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's, it goes into a little more detail uh, of uh, the excruciating pain that Jesus must have gone through. Um, the lead tip whip, for anybody who has watched the Passion of the Christ movie, it's excruciating to watch. Uh, it's a wonderful movie, uh, but it's um, very tough. It's very tough and graphic to watch. Uh, and, and some of the other books go into a little more detail, but uh, in Mark, he, he kind of goes past that quick because he wants to kind of get to the crucifixion. All right, so let's read the verse 16. The soldiers mock Jesus. So now these are the Roman soldiers who have taken custody of Jesus from Pilate, and they're going to kind of go through the crucifixion process, but they started with the kind of whipping and torturing of him. All right, verse 16. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, dropped to his knees in mock worship. When they had finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe, and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. So this is what I'm talking about, that time period there of them torturing Jesus. Now, Mark mentions they whipped him with a lead whip, lead tip whip. They, they put a crown of thorns on him. And then, interesting how they beat him on the head with a reed and to probably embed, embed those thorns into his head uh, to make him bleed, uh, quite frankly. And then they mocked him. They saluted him, called him the king of the Jews. They act like they were on one knee. They just, it's just all in all trying to make a mockery and embarrass Jesus. Um, and, and make, frankly, more than likely, the, the Jewish Pharisees at the time really uh, uh, were trying to downplay Jesus and mock him in the sense of they were hoping this was going to happen. 
so they could uh, dilute the impact that Jesus had already made on the area. That's what they really wanted to do. They wanted to play him for a fool and show everyone around that this wasn't the Messiah, that this wasn't God walking on earth. So now they, they've beat him, they've tortured him, they've mocked him. Now it's time to march him down to be crucified. All right, verse 21. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. So this is not Simon. This is not um, Peter, Simon Peter. This is, this is not the disciple. This is another man named Simon. Uh, from Cyrene, which is interesting, uh, not from that location, but he, he must have come to see this. Uh, and his soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Gothic, uh, hold on, which means place of the skull. That's the, the, the translation is probably more important than the mispronunciation by me. Um, Golgotha is the, hopefully the correct pronunciation, but it's the place of the skull. So Simon carried the cross for a while. And they pulled a guy out of the crowd, a foreigner, for, for that matter, because they, they talk about how he's from Cyrene. And he carried the cross for Jesus, because you can imagine at this point, Jesus had been mocked, beaten, tortured, and carrying this huge, heavy wooden cross. So he probably was collapsing. Yet remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So he was feeling the torture and pain as a man would. That's the reality, right? Yes, he is God, but he took the form of man on this earth. So he felt everything. So I'm sure he was exhausted and in torturous pain. So Simon helped him carry the cross for a bit. Now they took him to this place called the place of the skull, place of death, uh, which was where he would be crucified. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Now, this is kind of a callback to even when Jesus was born and they brought him these spices, three wise men, uh, and myrrh was one of them. Myrrh was a uh, kind of a drug at the time, a spice at the time, but when you mixed it with this wine, it kind of had a, a little bit of a hallucination slash, you know, uh, whatever uh, type of effect. So they're trying to ease his pain. They probably did this with some of the uh, people that were crucified because it was so torturous and so painful. They were probably drugging him up a little bit to get him on there to make him not feel the pain as much. But Jesus refused it. He knew what he had to do. Uh, he had already you know, talked to the Father. He knew what the outcome was. And he knew that he had to endure this in order for us to be saved. Verse 24, Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece, which is the fact that they were gambling with dice uh, to try to see who got to keep some of Jesus' clothes, which is bizarre and sad and, and cruel. Uh, verse 25, it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, King of the Jews, two revolutionaries or criminals, as the translation may be, were crucified with him, one on the left. One on the right. Verse 29. The people passed by shouting abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. And this is probably people that the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders of the time had gathered. It wasn't Jew Jesus' followers. These are people that they put in place in order to make this a, a, a spectacle. 
You said, they yelled at him, you said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, which he was referring to himself. Okay. Uh, well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. So at that time, both thieves or both criminals had mocked him. It's interesting because we also know that one of the thieves came to the resolution on the cross that Jesus was God and the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, have no, have no worry, you're going to walk into paradise with me. Okay? So that was interesting at the time that we're referring to in Mark, the fact that they, they ridiculed Jesus at the time. So that guy found his faith in Jesus on the cross. Wasn't baptized, never went to church, never even prayed for that matter. But he found his faith on that cross, which is an interesting uh, way to look at that. All right, uh, the death of Jesus, verse 33. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock, which is right around now, uh, our time. Um, then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Forsake me, depends on the translation that you're reading. He was quoting Psalms at the time, because Jesus did that all the time, where he was quoting Old Testament constantly, the Scripture constantly. He's quoting that, and he's he had, at that moment, he had taken all of the sin of the world from what was happening then all the way to what's happening now upon himself. Excruciating pain. It wasn't just the pain from the cross. You have to understand this. It wasn't just his hands being nailed to the cross and him suffocating on his own blood. It wasn't just that, okay? It was he took on all the pain, all the sin from us. And at that moment, the, the pure pain he must have felt, both emotionally and physically, must have been just beyond comprehension. All right, verse 35. Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. Holding it to him with a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain at the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is a prophecy that was supposed to come true, and it did. From the Old Testament. Verse 39, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly is the son of God. So even the Romans watching this and, and knowing a little bit about the scripture, a little bit about the prophecy, a little bit about how the Messiah was supposed to be, even he realized that this was the Son of God at that moment. Verse 40, uh, some women were there watching from a distance, including <clears throat> Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. That's Jesus' mother. All right, Mary uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, was there as well with his brothers. Um, they had been follow followers of Jesus, and he had cared for them while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. So he had a lot of women, right? The disciples spread, right? I mean, as he said in the previous chapter, they were all going to spread and leave and not, you know, trying to escape persecution themselves. Peter denied him 
three times. So you have these women in his life, the Marys and other women, uh, that were there to comfort him and to be there for him, uh, which was um, interesting when you think about the dynamic there, which is awesome. All right, uh, verse uh, 42, the burial of Jesus. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. This is all part of the Passover, right? So that's why this happened on Friday. This all happened on Friday, the day of the preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Aramea uh, took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. So he, he was a believer, even though he was a member of the high council. He was a rich person in, a, in stature. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked him if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet. Oh, let's stop before we read 46. The reason why Joseph wanted Jesus' body is because he had a, a tomb or a burial place to put Jesus. If you go back in history, <clears throat> especially when you go back into Roman history, when they crucified people, all they typically did was take the bodies and throw them in a pit. Like throwing out the trash. And Joseph didn't want Jesus to be treated that way in death or in life. So the reason why he wanted to take that is to honor Jesus and to put his body in the tomb that he had already had. Okay. Uh, Jesus or Joseph, sorry, bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it on, laid it in a tomb that he had carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. So those two Marys, right, uh, saw where Jesus' uh, tomb was, right? And we're going to get to that in the next uh, chapter in Mark 16 on Monday. What happened after that? There's a reason why, um, you know, it's mentioned here in Mark 14. So excruciating uh, to think about. Um, and I'm sure it was even more graphic than what we read in Mark. Painful. So they mocked Jesus, they tortured him, and they killed him. But he knew it was going to happen. This is the way it had to be. This is the way it had to be. And he knew it was going to be that way. Yet he died for us anyways. He went through with the torture anyways. Think about... If you knew something terrible was going to happen to you, like terrible, terrible, not just I'm going to have uh, an issue or I'm going to get hurt or whatever. This is the, the worst way to die in the world. This is known to be the worst way to die. And you knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to be terrible. That's how much he loves us. This was the He was the sacrificial lamb in, that, in the new covenant. And he knew he had to do it, and he did it anyways. He did it because he loves us, which is so comforting. Sometimes I think we take that story a little lightly in the sense of it happened so long ago, and it's, it's so kind of hard to wrap your head around. But that is what love is. Love is knowing what's going to happen and saving your loved ones anyways. He did it for us. Pretty phenomenal. So that's Mark 15. Uh, we got one more chapter of Mark we'll do on uh, Monday, talking about the resurrection, uh, which is exciting. I don't want to do it on Sunday. I've got lots of stuff going on on Easter Sunday, so I'm going to do that on Monday on our normal schedule. 
and uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap up Mark and the story of Easter on Monday. All right, uh, so um, let's pivot to a couple of questions. So if you haven't yet, put your question in the bottom. If you're live here on Instagram, uh, if uh, put your question at the bottom of your screen there, I'll answer a few. If you're listening to this uh, or watching it on YouTube afterwards, sit back and uh, and I'll get to a couple of questions. All right, looks like they're rolling in. Let's take a look and see what we got today. Um, if uh, not a question, but a quote, if you have time to worry, you have time to pray. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you, you always have time to pray. Um, all right. Um, where did Jesus go when he died? Some say he went to hell. There's some conflicting um, uh, stories on that. And I'll only reference, I can't remember which, but in one of the other Gospels, it does talk about him uh, confronting the demons. So that's where the belief comes then uh, with him going to hell to um, kind of confront the demons. So that, that's the general belief is that's where he went for three days. All right, and I'll skip through that pretty quick. Um, let's see. How did the thief on the cross able to enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ, our Lord? How did he, how was he able to enter the kingdom? Uh, because he believed Jesus was the Messiah. And he, at that moment, you have to believe that he gave his life to Christ. He humbled himself on that cross himself and said to Jesus, please forgive me. He said to Jesus that he believed that Jesus was the one, the Savior. And Jesus said, I'll see you in paradise. So no matter what you've done, the lesson there, and the reason why that's in the Bible is no matter what you've done in your life, you can accept Jesus at any moment. At any moment. One for unforgivable sin is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the, the rejection of Christ, the rejection of God. And he didn't do that. That thief accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior at that moment. And he went right to heaven. Not baptized. Never prayed. Never went to church. Never did any of those things. But Jesus, being God, accepted him because he accepted Jesus. All right, let's see what other questions we have, and we'll uh, wrap this in, wrap this up here in a minute. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> why Jesus prayed to God when he was God? Well, that's that's you've got a that's that's a tough question, but you've got to wrap your head around the Trinity and what that means with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, and how they are three different people. So at that moment, Jesus had come to Earth and was fully God but fully man, right? So he wasn't separate from the Father. Uh, he is still God, but he is separate in the sense of he, he is a fully man. He is a human at that point. So he's talking to the Father, uh, just like we do. That's why he was able to pray. It wasn't the fact that he wasn't God or wasn't part of the Trinity or wasn't the Messiah or wasn't the Savior. It was the fact that they have a, their own relationship being three in one. And at that moment, the Father's in heaven, Jesus was on earth as a fully man, and they talked to each other. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> That's, I mean, I do. <clears throat> all right, let's see. Uh, one other question, and we'll get on out of here. Um, was Christ was really Christ crucified on Friday? Yes, we just read it. It uh, literally listed and said Friday uh, on that in Mark. Um, a lot of, uh, 
All right, uh, last uh, question. Um, and the only thing I'll read is, where can I find in the Bible a more detailed scripture on how many whips Jesus had received? I would say, uh, I'm not sure if it talks about the number, but if you go into some of the other books, I know Matthew is pretty detailed, if I remember correctly, um, where it talks about uh, you know him being G Judas hanging himself and him being mocked in the crucifixion. I think Luke goes into pretty good detail. Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, the crucifixion, he talks pretty detailed in Luke. Uh, talked about how he saved others, how the crowd watched, the leaders scoffed, uh, took him to the skull, nailed him to the cross. Uh, wombs have not become a child. You know, it talks a lot more detail in Luke. So I would say read all four Gospels. If you want the complete picture of what happened during that, you know, during that time. Uh, and I want to say, I don't remember exactly the number of webs. I'm sorry, I don't know. It's probably 40, to be honest with you. Uh, I think there's a number there in one of the books. Um, it's probably one of the, the the reference numbers that are throughout the Bible with 7 and 40, etc. So it's probably 40 or 39, I think. 39 or 40. Um, I think it's 39. Uh, so I'm sorry, I'm rambling here a little bit, but uh, that's the answer. Go back and read uh, all four um, books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one has a little bit of a different interpretation of those events and tells a little bit different details in each one. Uh, so I see some people writing 39 as well. So it is 39. So my memory uh, uh, was kind of right. Uh, so uh, go back and read all four Gospels and kind of learn the complete story. That's the way I do it. I love reading all four Gospels. They, each one has a different perspective and each one tells a little bit different story. Uh, although it's the same story, uh, you can get a complete picture picture when you read all four Gospels. All right, let's have a quick prayer and then we'll finish up Mark 16 on Monday. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us together. And thank you so much for allowing us to have the word that you sent down to us in all four Gospels, but specifically the one we've been reading the last week and a half or so with Mark. We're so thankful for this Good Friday. I know it wasn't a, a Good Friday from a pain standpoint for you, Lord, but we're grateful and thankful that you love us so much that you went through that for us. Lord, sometimes we forget how blessed we are. Sometimes we forget how much you love us and how cherished of a creation that we are. We're reminded as we read through what happened on that faithful Friday. And we're even more reminded on that Sunday when you resurrected from the dead. You saved all of us from ourselves, Lord. You saved us from our mistakes. You saved us from our sins. You saved us from our faults and our failures. And we're grateful beyond, beyond our words, Lord. We're grateful. I'm sorry, Lord, if we don't act that way sometimes. I'm sorry if sometimes we get so wrapped up in this world. The devil is working hard, and he's distracting us so much in the news. There's so many distractions going on. It, the devil's trying to take our focus away from you, especially during this time. We're sorry if we fail and we falter to that. But today, Lord, we're making a commitment to remember and to celebrate and to worship and to be grateful for what you've done for us. Please be with everybody watching or listening to this. May you bless their families and their friends and their home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right, guys. Love you guys. Uh, have a great uh, Easter weekend. Good Friday, all the way to Resurrection Sunday. Have a great time. Worship Christ. Uh, remember what he did for you and that you're saved because of the sacrifice that Jesus did for you. See you guys on Monday. Till next time, keep Jesus on your heart, forever on your mind. Love you guys.